Greetings, we're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns presenting a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. We strive to educate in a way that's loose and fun. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. Some of the topics we've covered include urban legends, civil rights activists, vampires, pop culture icons, the supernatural and occult, spies and espionage, science and astronomy, and other weird and random things. If any of these topics interest you, give our podcast a shot. Listen and subscribe at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Rental advisory. We might use strong language. It is October, which means it's Halloween month, which means that for the next few weeks here on the show, we are getting spooky, kind of. Or at least, you know, y- yeah, you get it. It's our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And this week and uh, next week, uh, obviously all month, we're talking about some Halloween-themed subjects, some uh, scary stuff, spooky stuff, all that kind of stuff. But this week and next week, uh, we are diving into some more cryptids and monsters. Um, We did this uh, one week last year during Halloween week or Halloween month, uh, and we're going to have two more episodes all about some totally real monsters you guys i cannot (laughs) i don't know why i don't know why i get so cynical when it comes to this kind of stuff because it's like i would love i would love for this all of this to be real especially like the alien stuff would love for it to be real it just it's just no no credible sounding person ever comes forward with these stories but we're gonna we're gonna give it a chance all right, and just see how these sorts of things came about. Uh, I have four stories for you today. We are looking at uh, the Beast of Gavadon, the Beast of Busco, the Riverside Bridge Monster, and right after our little fun music here, we are going to get into the story of the Jersey Devil. <laughs> In 1735, deep in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, which is this um, heavily forested coastal region of New Jersey where the soil is actually way more acidic than in most places, which so then it makes it very difficult to farm there. And so most people, settlers kind of moved out pretty quickly. And there's just this huge, if you look at a map or a satellite image of New Jersey, there's just huge wooded area there um, around all of the rest of of developed New Jersey. But uh, this one woman, Deborah Leeds, got pregnant uh, while living in the Pine Barrens. Um, Unfortunately, this was not a joyous occasion because this was Jane. uh, Sorry, this was uh, Deborah's 13th child and she was not happy about it. And I don't I don't know why who would be who's happy getting pregnant 13 times. It sounds terrible. In her early pregnant hormonal rage, she cursed the child and claimed that it would come out as the devil. 
And on a stormy night later that year, uh, Leeds gave birth to uh, a normal, very healthy looking baby. However, as soon as it like, you know, as soon as the doctor pulls it out, it began to transform into this beast, allegedly, with hooves and a forked tail. And its head turned from, you know, an, an otherwise normal baby's head into a goat head. And then it started sprouting bat-like wings from its back. And this, which would later come to be known as the Jersey Devil, let out a loud screech and then killed the midwife, which that's pretty sweet, um, and then flew up into the chimney and left the house uh, to live basically this life of solitude in the Pine Barrens. Um, over the next century, the story of the Jersey Devil became just this big staple in the local lore up there. Uh, in 1820, uh, Joseph Bonaparte, who was actually Napoleon's older brother, uh, he claimed to see the Jersey Devil during a hunting trip. Uh, 20 years later, in 1840, the Jersey Devil was blamed for the deaths of several random livestock over a two-year period. Uh, in 1909, several newspapers began reporting sightings and encounters all over New Jersey at this point. Um, a trolley car in Haddon Heights was attacked. Uh, police in Camden shot at what they thought was the Jersey Devil, but their bullets had no effect. Uh, uh, reports even started spreading into like Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland. Uh, several schools even canceled class. Businesses started shutting down because of reports of the Jersey Devil just attacking everything. It's got people so scared. Uh, groups of armed residents even began roaming the snow-covered countryside in search of the Jersey Devil, but no one ever found it. Can't imagine why. Um, in 1925, a farmer in Greenwich shot and killed a creature that was trying to steal his chickens. Um, he took a picture of the corpse and showed it to over 100 people. And according to this farmer, no one was ever able to identify what it was, meaning it was the Jersey Devil, you guys. Um, however, sightings continued over the next few decades and somehow since then, no one has ever been able to capture or take a picture of, or otherwise identify the Jersey devil, uh, skeptics, logical people, uh, <laughs> believe that this story is nothing more than a tall tale that was told by early settlers that just really got out of hand. Obviously. Um, it also doesn't help that, 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 uh, pineys who are the residents of the pine barrens, they're called pineys. They have long been considered mentally deficient as compared to the rest of society. And that's not even a joke. That is it's scientific fact. There were early scientific studies done, intelligent studies done uh, that found that people who lived in the New Jersey Pine Barrens were legitimately dumber than the rest of New Jersey. And that sounds crazy, but it's it's 100 percent real. And I'm not I cannot stress to you how serious I'm being right now. That's not a joke. Like these people are legitimately stupid. Um, in the in the early 1900s, because uh, this is what it was. This is that study. Uh, Henry H. Goddard conducted this study on the inhabitants of the Pine Barrens to search for a genetic connection to quote feeble mindedness. Um, in particular, he studied a woman named Emma Wolverton and her family lineage lineage and found that her entire family tree was full of criminals, inbreds, and varying levels of mental deficiency. Uh, even more. Almost all of the children in this family tree were born out of wedlock or conceived out of wedlock. And Goddard then concluded, which he then outlined in his book, The Calacac Family, that 
having children out of wedlock was a surefire way to make sure that your kids would grow up stupid. Now, whether or not this study is even remotely scientifically accurate, because it's really not, um, others believe that sightings of the Jersey Devil are simply sandhill cranes, which are these large brown birds with red faces and spindly black legs. Um, an outdoorsman named Tom Brown Jr. thinks that people uh, mistook him for the Jersey Devil during his years of living in the Pine Barrens after encountering him covered in mud as a way to ward off mosquitoes. Um, but other people believe that there is this deformed bastard piney running around the wilderness and terrorizing whoever it comes in contact with. Sure. Uh huh. Um, our next story here, it happened in the summer of 1764 when a young woman was tending a herd of cattle in a forest near Ligonne, Ligonne, France. I think that's it. Sure. Um, and she encountered this massive, massive beast. It looked like a wolf, but it was as big as a, a baby calf or a baby cow, which is called a calf. Duh. Um, this beast had dark brown fur with a black streak down its back. And its large mouth had so many sharp teeth that were just pearly white as it growled in this woman's face. Um, the bulls at the front of the herd repelled both attacks from the beast who eventually retreated back into the forest. However, a few days later, 14-year-old Jan Boulet was found mauled to death in a village near Lagunier. Uh, and over the next few months, several more attacks were reported. Uh, and the entire region of Gévaudan, Gévaudan, I got to say it like that. Otherwise, it's I'm going to it's just going to sound Gévaudan, Gévaudan. That's how I'm going to say it. No, it's Gévaudan. Um, the entire region was crippled with fear as ten, as uh, people tending their cattle were viciously getting killed. Like not even not even an exaggeration. These people were getting ripped to shreds um, in each instance. The victims had their throats completely ripped out. Um, by December, people began to think that not one, but two beasts were responsible because of how many attacks there had been in such a short amount of time. So on January 12th, the next year, Jacques Portefe and his, uh, seven friends were attacked by the beast, but by grouping themselves together, they were able to ward off several attempts before this animal fled back into the forest. And when King Louis the 15th found out about this, he awarded 600 levers, uh, to be split amongst the group and ordered Portefeuille to be educated at the state's expense for his bravery. So now you've got all these stories going around. The king finds out and he's like, oh, uh-huh. well, this man, he is a very brave. We're going. I don't know why it's like half French, but then like if Borat was doing a French accent. Oh, God. I don't know, man. Anyway, um, either way, like the king, like the, you know, he whatever with this group dude and like none of this is real we're just having a fun time and i can't have fun with this because probably my autism or something i don't know anyway he promised uh, king louis 15th promised royal resources to help the the people in gavadon to to finally capture this beast and so louis the 15th sent a man named captain duhamel and his band of pretty nitwitted guards to the region um Duhamel like encountered the beast on several occasions, but because his guards were so stupid and completely incompetent, Duhamel was never actually able to even fire a shot 
And so he eventually got frustrated and demanded more help from the king. And so Louis XV, he responded by sending two professional wolf hunters, which was apparently a real job in 18th century France. Um, Jean-Charles Marc-Antoine Valmaisé de Neval and his son. Like, why do you have that many names? Jean-Charles Marc-Antoine Valmaisé de Neval. Why? You don't need that many. You don't. You don't need that many names. And his son, probably Jean-Marc, Jean-Charles Marc-Antoine Valmaisel de Neval Jr. Like, too much, dude. Um, de Neval and Duhamel immediately clashed, thanks to their differing strategies on how to to capture a wolf, I guess. Um, Duhamel wanted to use hunting parties, while de Neval insisted on taking a, a stealthier approach. Um, neither one worked. Like, neither one of them ever even came in close contact with the beast. And so they were replaced by Louis XV's gun bearer, Francois Antoine, in June of 1765. Uh, three months later, Antoine killed a huge gray wolf that weighed 130 pounds. And Antoine claimed that he had finally killed what had come to be known as the beast of Gévaudan and had the wolf stuffed and sent it back with his son to their hometown of Versailles. Meanwhile... Antoine stayed behind to hunt down uh, the beast's female partner and their two cubs. Uh, within a few days, Antoine had killed the mother and one cub. Uh, he shot at the other cub, but it scampered back into the forest. Uh, it's probably a pup, not a cub. Cub is a baby bear, which I, whatever. Um, in December of 1765, over a dozen attacks were reported near La Biessière Saint-Marie in uh, the southern part of France. So maybe he hadn't killed the beast after all. Um, but finally, on June 19th, 1767, a hunting party encountered the beast on the slopes of Mount Moucher, a man named Jean Chastel. He fired at the beast uh, with bullets he had crafted out of pure silver, which ultimately killed it. I don't know um, if, they, if the bullets had to be silver in order for uh the the beast to be killed but this is kind of where that notion that werewolves need to be killed with silver bullets actually began um scientists believe uh later on that the attacks were carried out by a pack of wolves and that most of the reports um were the result of hysteria caused by like only one or two legitimate reports and and you see that a lot in history especially in london um with a lot of like um attackers and stuff is just like one or two people will get attacked and then everyone else will freak out and be like oh my god i'm being attacked too i want some attention and then it's just a great way for you to get some attention whether you want it or not and, and so um that's kind of what happened it's also it's also possible that sightings of the beast and its size were exaggerated so that it fit with the description of the other attacks that were going along or going on um some reports also suggested that uh, that a lion had escaped uh, from captivity and was also responsible for at least some of the sightings of this. But in general, uh, the general consensus is that it was just this pack of wolves, which granted, like 300 years ago, much bigger problem than than right now. You know, I think maybe wolf attacks are pretty uh, pretty high up on your priority list if you live in like Canada or Alaska or maybe like Oregon and Northern California, you know, like out there where there's not as many people. But 
Uh, our next story here begins in 1898 when a man named Oscar Folk was spending some time near uh, the Seven Laker or Seven Acre Lake on his farm near the town of Churubusco in the northeastern part of Indiana when he saw a massive turtle doing whatever whatever it is turtles do. Um, since it was probably like the most exciting thing to happen in Churubusco in some time, he told several people around town about this giant turtle that he saw on his lake. The excitement. I can feel it. Some of you are falling asleep at the wheel right now. I get it. Um, instead of catching it, though, and selling it to a museum, Oscar decided to just leave it alone. Um, in July of 1948, so almost 50 years later, Aura Blue and Charlie Wilson were fishing on Folks Lake when they saw a huge turtle that they estimated weighed over 500 pounds. Um, when they went to Gail Harris, who now owned the property, Harris claimed to have seen it too, and word about the massive turtle again started spreading around town. A year later, a reporter from United Press International sent out a story about the mysterious turtle, and the beast of Busco gained immediate nationwide fame for some reason. Like, just apparently... World War II, we're tired of talking about war. Let's focus on a giant turtle. Um, with nothing better going on in Indiana at the same at the time, uh, people drove from all over the state to Folk Lake to see this turtle, which, I mean, how sad is your life? Uh, the spot became so popular that Gail Harris had to call in the state police to direct traffic. However, people, when they showed up to the lake, no one ever saw this turtle. And so they just thought Harris was this big fat liar. And so to clear his name, Harris began his quest to finally catch this turtle. Um, he tried draining the lake, but the temporary dam that had been constructed to hold the water broke, which I don't like. That seems like that would help you drain the lake, but whatever. Um, he then called in a deep sea diver to search the lake, but that was called off after the wrong equipment was delivered to his house. I mean, like can't do anything right. Um, to this day, like no one has any proof that the beast of Busco was ever actually a thing. Um, the town of Churubusco does hold a turtle days festival in June every year. And a small turtle statue sits in the downtown area. If you're ever, if you're ever bored and ready to kill yourself, just go to Churubusco, Indiana and go see the turtles. But um, I don't know. Uh, our, our final story here uh, happened on November 8th, 1958, when Charles Wetzel was driving down Main Street in Riverside, California on his way home. I wonder if that's the guy who started Wetzel's pretzels. Probably not. Um, as he crossed the bridge over the Santa Ana River, he quickly realized that the swollen river had come up over the bridge and was crossing the roadway. Um, he slowed down so that he could safely cross and not like hydroplane out of the way, but he quickly noticed that his radio, as soon as he got onto the bridge, turned to complete static. Um, suddenly something leapt out from the bushes and landed in front of his car. And, um, Wetzel, he, he said it's, it was just like something right out of Halloween, not the movie because that hadn't been made yet, but just like Halloween, I guess like decor and folklore and story because like he said this thing was not human um wetzel described this creature as having freakishly long arms a round face and no ears um its legs went sideways like an insect like probably like a grasshopper 
and its skin was covered in scales. And when the creature saw Wetzel in his car, it started clawing at the windshield, which if this really happened, that's crazy. Um, Wetzel reached for his 22 caliber pistol that he kept under his seat, but thought better of it and instead mashed the gas because look, you start shooting at this thing. You could just, you know, break your windshield and all of a sudden now it can get in and like really start, you know, you know, stabbing you or whatever they do. Um, the creature then met the hood of Wetzel's car and disappeared beneath it. Um, as Wetzel was driving over the top of it, he felt the creature scraping the undercarriage, letting out another scream and like eventually like disappearing as he sped off toward the Riverside police station. Um, officers took note of the scratches that were clearly on the hood and the windshield. But when they sent bloodhounds to the scene the next day, they couldn't find any evidence that anything had been hit, like no blood stains, no scales, no, you know, detached legs or anything that had been left behind. Um, another driver had reported a similar encounter in the same spot the following night, but the creature was never seen again. And, no one knows anything else about the Riverside Bridge Monster since then. So there you go. Week number one. Got a few uh, stories about some monsters there. Um, look, you know, I think that my logical brain, um, you know, Jersey Devil, not real, clearly. Uh, Beast of Gavaldon, eh, probably a wolf. Uh, Beast of Busco, probably just a turtle, like not even a big turtle. And then the Riverside Bridge Monster, I don't know. I don't know if that, like, for two different people to report the same thing happening to them, that's interesting, right? I don't know if it, maybe it was a, maybe it was a giant lizard that, that came out, kind of. That, that's, that kind of fits the description, Lizards typically don't have super long arms, but they got round faces and they don't have ears and their legs can kind of go sideways. So maybe it's a big lizard. I don't know. But that one, that one's interesting. I don't, I don't really have an explanation for that. But otherwise, let's see what we learned this week. What did we learn? Number one, if you live in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey and you've lived there your entire life, there's a decent chance that you're dumber than the rest of the people in New Jersey, which ugh, that's 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 pr- that's a pretty strong feat to accomplish. Uh, New Jersey, not not the best reputation for having uh, a high level of intellect throughout that state. I mean, like they have Princeton. Sure. Fine. Rutgers seems like a decent institution, but in general, not a lot seem to, not a lot of, uh, smart things seem to be coming out of New Jersey. Anyway, uh, number two, the beast of Busco wasn't really a beast. It was just a turtle and like, fine. Maybe it's a giant snapping turtle because those things can get really big, but like also who cares? Who cares? Uh, and then number three, the Riverside bridge monster, might like of the of the four stories the most convincing of something uh paranormal cryptid-esque 
you know, cause like, I don't, I don't know. I, and I mean, it's Riverside, California. It's kind of, uh, near Los Angeles, kind of deserty area. Maybe they got some lizards out there that I'm not aware of some giant lizards that it could be, who knows? I don't know, but I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> Next week on Our Weird World, we continue with some more monsters. Uh, Four more stories uh, where you're going to learn about the Honey Island monster, the Grafton monster, uh, the Minerva monster, and the Pope Lick monster. Those are, I know I said monster every single time, but that's just, that's the name of them. So um, that's that. We'll see if those are any more believable than this week. And uh, that'll do it for for this one. I don't know why I'm struggling to figure out how words work right now, but I am. Uh, So, yeah, I think uh, let's let's end the show. All right. Thanks for listening. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. She's not the kind of girl you meet on the corner of Hollywood and Vine, but you might bump into her on aisle 21 at the Farmer's Feed and Supply with a bag of seed on her suntanned shoulder, cut off jeans and a tight tank top with a big red mower on it. Make you want to be a farmer, don't it? No, you won't see her in the centerfold of Playboy magazine. No, she's too busy getting dirty in a field of green. She is a corn star. The talk of the crop at every county fair, y'all. Corn star. Blue ribbon winner for the last five years. They cut a four-lane highway right through her pasture, blamed it on progress and moving traffic faster. But everybody knows the only reason for the road was to see her chug a luggin on the top of that tractor, Cornstar. Fuck.